On Second Shot, we cover two new stories every week to find out what kind of wisdom the world is dishing out today. And at the heart of every one of these stories are people, just like you and me, who've had to overcome incredible odds, to face the greatest challenges, to struggle and fight back. But now, we're changing it up. In these episodes, we're skipping the headlines and going straight to the people that inspire us to grow, to be bold, seek change, and act courageously when the rest of the world may not. A second look, a second chance, a second shot. This is Second Shot Sit-Downs with your host, Jenny Anchondo. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Second Shot Sit-Downs. I'm Jenny Anchondo, and we're doing another deep dive. We're doing another interview, really just to get, and it's a little bit of a different topic, but I think it's gonna be super valuable right now. A second shot at training your dog. Maybe the first time around, it didn't go so hot. I know I'm in that situation. And maybe you just adopted an animal during this pandemic, and you're wondering, what the heck am I supposed to do now? Well. We brought in somebody who knows, and she happens to be Chloe Anchondo, who is my cousin. Hello, Chloe. Hey there. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Oh, my gosh. This is the only way we're going to be able to have a family reunion is just like doing podcasts together and doing TV shows together. So it's all good. So you guys know it's not just my cousin. She is um, the founder of Rooted Dog Training, which you know, they, they do all of the things. They do training. They do boarding. Uh, they do sitting. You, you can even send your dog to her and, and she'll send the dog back fully trained. She's based in Ontario, California, but really the, with, you know, the internet, this is a cross the country business, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, we now offer virtual training. So we, we have all the, the different ways of training your dog now, whether it's in person or in train or virtual. Well, it's so funny because you've been a part of the, you know, second shot family. Well, the real family, because our dads are twins, if you guys couldn't tell, for people who are for people who are watching the video version. <laughs> our dads are fraternal twins, so we are very much related. Um, but you've been a part of the second shot realm just because you, you followed along with your business and we do so much, you know, talking about business and such. And it's like we were talking on the phone yesterday how wild it is that you really transitioned your business from more of dog walking to dog training, and it seems like at the perfect time. Yeah, I'm extremely happy how all, how everything just worked out so nicely. Uh, yeah, I used to do dog walking and pet sitting, but I definitely wanted to transition things. And now pretty much just doing training, just training dogs. And I love it. And it, even with COVID now, being able to uh, even transition into virtual training, everything's working out really nice. And we're getting to help a lot of people. So here's the deal. Uh, we, we've known that Chloe was valuable, but I think back to the time when we first got Charlie, we adopted him from a rescue and Charlie was going insane. We have zero skills as dog parents. And I think I texted you like really late one night saying, mm -hmm. Charlie's going insane. We don't know what to do. He's, he's just, he's like screaming. He's hysterical. We cannot sleep. And you said, well, did you ever firmly tell him no? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no, I didn't. So let's talk about that discussion with regard to setting boundaries for your animals, because it sounds like it's just like for kids, you can set boundaries for your animals. How do we do that? Absolutely. It's funny. One of the number one causes that I see in regards to behavior issues is simply the lack of structure. 
telling your dog no, right? Not providing too much freedom and not enough structure. So it's definitely something that I talk a lot about with my clients and teach them how to implement, right? There's a lot of different ways that you can apply structure, but like you said, I think we all can agree that structure never really does us wrong, right? And structure is just, I mean, it's just a form of setting up routines, right? Creating good habits. You know what's expected of you throughout your day. And by doing that, isn't life a bit less stressful? Yes, right? it is. It works yeah. for adults, it works for dogs. Okay, so let's set the scene. Mm -hmm. Say somebody listening or watching just adopted an animal and they've got mm -hmm. a new puppy, they're working from home. What are the steps they should follow to make that an enjoyable animal and not like mm -hmm. a wild animal? Yes, no, that's a, a really great example, especially because during this quarantine, you know, COVID, you know, this pandemic that we're dealing with, a lot of people have gone out and gotten puppies or adopted you know, dogs in general. So there's definitely a lot of things that you can do. Obviously, at a early puppy age, you know, it's potty training, things of that sort. Uh, but really for any dog, whether it's eight weeks old or you just adopted an adult dog, get into training as soon as possible because there's lots of things that you can start even at eight weeks old, right? It's just about starting. So with a young puppy specifically, that's what you asked about, uh, it's immediately getting into potty training and crate training right? Teaching them how to walk on a leash, like really basic things. You don't even have to worry so much about the sit and down stuff, the obedience. We can get there. But starting really early and just molding them into uh, becoming that adult, well-mannered dog. That's really what we're trying to do. So it's also doing a lot of preventative training, right? Because a lot of dogs that I see are coming in around that nine-month-year mark uh, of age, and that's where all the behavior issues start to creep up. But of course, like typical things like jumping and nipping, but also destructive behavior, separation anxiety, and reactivity. Those are some of the big ones that we that are very common, right? And very challenging and stressful. <laughs> so it can be very emotional experience yeah. for dog owners. It's, it's a lot. Yes. Okay, so here's, here's the question with potty training. How does one start with potty training. Sometimes if somebody gets a rescue, they might they might get lucky and they're already potty trained or they mm -hmm. might get really unlucky and they're an older dog and have never, you know, nobody's even attempted to potty train them. So w right. what does that look like? What should people try aside from just hiring you to do it? <laughs> uh, potty training can really be pretty simple for majority of people like you're saying. So the number one tool that I would recommend is the crate. Get into crate training. Most dogs will acclimate to a crate fairly easily. Every once in a while, you get a dog that's not so fond of it, so it requires a little more effort, more training, right? Maybe hiring a professional, but creating a good routine, like literally writing out a schedule for your dog, especially if it's a puppy. Creating that routine throughout your day, and my dog needs to go out, you know, however often, and using the crate to minimize that free roaming, right? So before I was talking about structure. So part of implementing structure is uh, introducing the crates because now you're you're having a way of managing the dog rather than allowing them to free roam and go potty in the corner or on the, the, the rug over there, right? So you want to teach them to go outside, right? And when they come inside, you need some crate time, especially if they didn't go, bring them back in, 
great. And then giving them another opportunity to go outside. But definitely just remember that routine is really, really important uh, for overcoming potty training. When when we were little, having dogs, we never had a crate. I remember seeing crates and thinking that it just felt so cruel. It, it, you know, yeah. when you look at the crate and you look at your beloved animal and you look at the crate, it makes you feel so. Oh, you told us with Charlie, you were like, you have got to get the crate. And despite my heart, I was like, fine, we'll get the crate. And I swear, you guys, it was it was a game changer. So. Can yeah. you kind of help put people at ease for, for those people who really look at the crate and think that it's um, going to be detrimental or sad or lonely for them? Yeah, it's a great point. And I will tell you almost every single client has the same concern, right? Okay. We're, we're very emotional people. So, right, as human beings, we're emotional. So seeing something like that can definitely tug at your heartstrings. However, the way I look at dogs or dog training is part of my philosophy is how can I take what the dog already understands instinctively and apply it to our day-to-day, -day, right? The way we live together. So one of the things is a crate because dogs live in dens. So which is a very small hole that they dig in the ground, right? So in a way you can think of the crate as mimicking that den, right? And for those of you that have dogs that maybe tend to get fearful at times, like how you were talking about the, I think it was a thunderstorm, right? Yes, exactly. And so a lot of times dogs who are scared or nervous, they run to the smallest, darkest place in the house, which is typically underneath the bed, behind the couch, right? So, so true. the crate, yeah, so the crate can be something that's very similar. Uh, like I said, most dogs will acclimate to the crate very, very easily. Other dogs not so much, and you might have to do some more convincing. And there's lots of techniques that are out there that you can uh, use as resources to to combat that, you know, any sort of anxiety that they might feel. But the crate is a huge tool to overcoming lots of behavior issues because, like I said, number one, it's good for structure, it's good for management, but it's also really good to teaching your dog how to calm down. Right? I'm always talking about, you know, change, adjusting the way your dog thinks. Right? teaching them good impulse control to control the, whether it's excitement or fear, stress, anxiety, right? All those things. And the crate can be a, a really big tool at helping them how to just like just zen out. chill out. And just so you guys know, I mean, in the realm of dog training, she has a dog that will go out without a leash. That's how legit <laughs> Chloe is with her dog training. I mean, she, do any of you have dogs you can take for a walk without a leash? I'm sure some of you do, but for the most of us, it's like, you know, the dog's pulling constantly. So you really have, you've really figured this out over the, the, the years of your career on how to do this. Now, let's talk about those people who like, they are home for the first time in a long time. They had the dog, let's give them a second shot. Can you, I don't know, is this the old cliche? Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Can you get a dog who was otherwise a problem dog to be a really calm and well-mannered dog even when they're a few years old? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You can teach an old dog new tricks. And a lot of times we get dogs that are older, you know, hitting the eight year, 10 year, even some over that. Uh, of age so yes sometimes i will be i'm always extremely honest with everybody it can be more challenging yeah. no doubt right? because they've had let's say it's an eight-year-old dog they've had eight years to practice these habits of behaviors right so 
yes, it can be more challenging, but they can learn. They can learn. So if you've been somebody that's really struggled for a long time, please know that there is hope for you because there's lots of people that I'm telling you are very much struggling emotionally uh, with their dogs and really feel the loss, but there is hope. Okay, so let's, how would we do that? Let's say the dog's issue is that they bark at every single person that goes by, and I mean every single person. Mm -hmm. what, how would you go about teaching that dog not to do that? Well, there's a lot to it. <laughs> uh, it's a very common behavior problem. Uh, even myself, uh, the dog that I adopted had really bad dog reactivity. That's what we call it in the training world, dog reactivity or okay. leash reactivity. Charlie has some okay. major dog reactivity. Oh, we need to talk more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's why I'm having you uh, on. <laughs> uh, no, but really when it comes down to it, especially specifically for the walk, it's teaching that leader follower, right? Uh, dynamic. And, and this can be applied in, uh, for any behavior, but especially on the walk, right? So like you were saying earlier, majority of dogs are, are walking out in front of you, right? And they're leading the way. And for some people, it's an it's such a struggle that they don't even want to walk their dogs, right? Uh, so that would be my first tip is teaching your dog how to walk nicely just beside you, right? And that may mean introducing some different training tools, right? Harnesses tend to be something that work against you when it comes to a dog pulling or dogs that react to other dogs or people or whatever it may be. So sometimes we got to reel in the more appropriate tools that are going to be more effective in teaching our dog how to walk beside us and, and even telling them no, right? We gotta learn how to apply a proper no. Oh, yeah. Tell them, hey, bark at the dog, right? Right, well, <laughs> it's and it's, it's interesting, Chloe, because again, just reinforcing that no, because instead we're pulling, and Chloe saw that we used that harness for Charlie. He has this super cute Superman harness, like we love it, it's so his style, he looks very chic on his walks. But Hard. to your point, when he has that, he pulls harder. Why, mm -hmm. why is that? It's almost yeah. like it makes him feel more powerful in his little harness. Yeah, yeah. So the way I like to, uh, the example I like to give for harnesses specifically is if you think about mushing dogs, right? Imagine yourself, you know, a bunch of huskies pulling a sled. What are they wearing? Harnesses, right? That's the strongest part of their body. And when, it, when they're walking ahead, right, there's tension on the leash then. And a lot of times when, once there's tension on that leash, that's when the dog actually revs up. Right, I like to say that they're loading, right? They so they they're kind of like, mm, yeah, getting excited, really getting into it, and then a lot of dogs who tend to react. That's when once that tension's there and they're out ahead, it's like bam, and they just kind of explode with their, with their barking, right? Uh, so so that's why harnesses tend to not work so well <laughs> in uh, when dealing with that behavior. So we need to just use a regular collar and a leash. A uh, regular collar, there's there's a variety of tools that can help. Um, okay, yeah, what are they? Yeah, so things like a, a prong collar would work really well. That's my favorite go-to. And a lot of people are nervous about those. I, I'm Like I said, I'm completely honest. They don't look the greatest. They're not the most attractive thing. Wait, what kind but of collar? A prong collar. Oh, I don't even know what or that is. A pinch collar. Uh, they're metal go around your neck, but the way that they're designed to be used uh, works extremely effective when it comes to teaching your dog how to walk aside uh, and even addressing uh, things like reactivity. 
Uh, so sometimes it's just adjusting those tools so that you're more empowered to have more success when battling these types of things. Okay, so maybe it has to do with the collar. Let's talk about schedules for, for dogs because what Chloe was saying too when we were talking and I found this to be really interesting is that we, we're gonna have more time with our animals at home. If, if you know, Even if you're not working from home, a lot of us are just home more in general so our animals are getting used to that. But eventually, mm -hmm. This pandemic's gonna end and we're all gonna be back to our normal routines. And, and now I'm worried about separation anxiety because they've gotten used to being around us. So how do we prepare them for that when, when we're back out and about? Yes, I'm already seeing that happen with lots of clients' dogs. Uh, so separation anxiety is something we wanna do our very, very best to prevent or attack if you're already starting to see signs of it. So, like I mentioned before, the crates, it honestly is one of the, the, the greatest tools that you can, that everyone can go out and buy, or if you already have one, start using it again, because our dogs need to practice time away from us, right? So I was thinking about it, a lot of people are, are working from home, right? So let's say in the morning, you, you get up, you get ready, you walk the dog, feed the dog, do the things that you need to do. But then when it's time for you to go to work, right? Even if it's in the next room, send your dog to the crate, let them spend the morning or maybe, you know, the entire, uh, your entire work shift, maybe with a potty break, of course, but you know, let them spend some time in there rather than at your feet, right? Or free roaming and having that access to do as they please, right? Uh, that time spent away from you is really going to help them be prepared for that time when eventually you walk out the door again. And they're going to be like, uh, where's mom? Right. <laughs> and a lot of dogs I can almost guarantee that majority of dogs are going to struggle, which means, and separation can be really severe for a lot of dogs. It's, it, it can result in destructive behavior, barking, scratching at the door. Like, you know, some dogs will literally scratch through walls. So we want to make sure that we're doing all we can to prevent any of that anxiety. And we don't want our dogs to suffer that way. You know, we want them to be relaxed and be calm whenever we do have to leave. Right, and, and how long, okay, when we talk about a crate, again, thinking about the people who are gonna say, that mean dog trainer came on I there and know. said to put my dog in a box. Um, <laughs> a couple things, do you think that, should we be putting a blanket over it or anything over the top or should we let it be letting it be more open? There, yeah, those, those are definitely options that you can try. There's lots of things that you can do to try and make it a more positive space, right? Uh, some dogs love their, their crates to be covered. So getting a blanket is definitely an option. You can put their beds and you know, chew toys and whatever they need to be content in their crate. Uh, some dogs don't need any of it. You know, they can just have the bare floor and they're fine. Uh, it really just depends. It, it's dog training. It really does require a lot of experimenting and yeah. seeing what works with an individual dog because just like you and I, they're individuals, they have their own quirks and personalities. So it's got to see what works Now, how long can a dog stay in a crate or what, what would be like an, a reasonable amount of time versus a dangerous amount of time? Sure. Uh, it depends on the dog, uh, specifically the age of the dog. So puppies, they may need to go out, really young puppies may need to go every two, three, four hours. Whereas an adult dog can usually hold it for, for eight hours plus. Now, does that mean that you should leave your dog in there for eight, 10, 12 hours a day? 
that's not going to be my suggestion. Mm. <laughs> uh, so let's say if you're all at home and you're working, uh, an eight-hour shift is totally fine. Uh, I say if you're home, take them out in the middle of the day, let them go potty, let them run around. Uh, but if you're using your crate for, say, a, you know, heavier amount of time like that, make sure you take them out for a walk, get them some exercise, get that energy out so that they're ready to relax. That would be really important. But, but yeah, most adult dogs can hold it for quite a bit. And that's really the key is, you know, do they need to go to the bathroom? Okay. Okay. So just, it depends on how long they can, how long they can hold it. It's just like training yeah. babies, you know, like, can we sleep through the night or can we not? It's, you know, I swear Charlie was harder than Brighton. I'm going to say, but it's because I didn't listen to all of your tips the first time around. And now I'm getting them this time around. I want to hear yeah. how you have been able to train dogs to walk without needing a leash. Now this is like a little controversial. I know that there are leash laws. I understand that. I'm not trying mm -hmm. to get anybody to break any laws, but wouldn't it be cool, you guys, if you had an animal that was so obedient that they could just walk next to you? What's the first mm -hmm. step, Chloe, in um, like, where do you start with getting your animal to listen that well? <laughs> well, it all starts at the basics, uh, really. So you gotta start from square one and just teaching basic obedience, right? Again, teaching your dog how to walk nicely on the leash first. Because if you can't get your dog to walk nicely beside you with a leash, you're certainly not gonna be able to do it off leash, right? So for us, we teach all of our clients what that heel position means. I'm sure a lot of you have heard that, that term heel, right? Getting your dog to walk next to you, not zigzagging, not pulling, uh, not stopping every 10 feet or you know, doing whatever they wanna do. It's paying attention to the leader, right? Whoever that dog handler. Uh, so that's really the beginning stage is starting there and slowly just working that leash to be looser and looser to where it's maybe you just have it wrapped on your shoulder, right? And then it's dragging. And before you know it, you can put the leash off and you have a dog that's walking nicely beside you. Uh, of course, there's lots more to it. <laughs> yeah, how, how do you do that? Do you use rewards? Do you give them treats? Do you punish them? It's both, it's both. It, and it depends on the dog, right? What, what they need. Uh, if you're starting really young, it's a lot of food-based training, right? As a dog gets older, you can start keeping them accountable to, to positions, right? If they're edging out too far, too far to the side, or you know, whatever that may be. Uh, but yeah, and using training, different tools. Uh, for us, uh, again, it can be controversial, but like I said, I'm honest. We yes, e be honest. So, yeah, e-collars are a big tool that we use in all of our programs, and it does allow us to have that off-leash reliability. It's a backup tool that we use for if the distractions or temptations are high enough and I have to remind the dog like, hey, you can't run into the street, right? Uh, you know, stick by me, those sorts of things. But really, it's, it, really uh, the most important thing is when we're talking about doing anything off leash is being extremely responsible about, responsible about the environment that you're in. For me, if I do off-leash stuff, it's it's usually at a park or in an environment that's more open. Mm. I'm not really inclined to go out into the neighborhood and walk off-leash, even though I could. But we've, and this has probably happened to majority of dog owners, when you're out walking your dog in your neighborhood, how many of you have been rushed by a loose dog? Right? Oh, yeah, and it's kind of scary. It is. It's very scary because... Well, the majority of times the dog may not be dangerous that's coming towards you, but you never know, right? It happened to me just a week ago. It was a little dog 
but it came rushing out and it wanted to do <laughs> all that it could to stop me in my tracks. Uh, so I want to be cautious if I'm walking my dog off leash, right? I, I, I need to be responsible and, and know that, hey, at any moment a dog can come out rushing or a kid or, or a car or whatever it may be. So I would just say, you know, use some some common sense, you know, as far as, you know, what environment that you're in. Is this really worth it? Do I need to be fancy <laughs> and walk my dog off leash, uh, you know? be responsible about it. If you see a dog or a kid or a car or whatever it may be, uh, you know, put a leash on your dog and, you know, go about your business. Um, but yeah, be cautious. Okay. So here's another question. I didn't tell you I was going to ask this. So maybe this is outside of your scope of practice, but is there any way to get dogs to stop digging? Oh, yes. How do you do that? <laughs> Give us the one, two, three. Charlie's actually not doing this. Charlie's actually not doing this, but we did have a friend's dog, um, come dig and I was like, oh, that's a that's a behavioral issue we haven't dealt with. So how do you work on that? On your new one? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, uh, with anything. Okay, so you can stop nearly any behavior, right? So whether this is we're talking about digging or jumping, getting into the trash, whatever it is that dog owners who are listening that they want to stop to. Just remember this. You have to apply a punisher. There has to be some sort of discipline in your dog's life. And that can be in a variety of ways. Like I said, your dog's an individual. So the way that we apply a punisher may vary from dog to dog. But your dog has to learn the value of a no, just as much as it has to learn the value of good, right? As a balanced trainer, we teach both yes and no. And, and I think as we all can understand, for us humans too, we also need discipline. We need to understand the value of yes and no. So it's the same with your dog. So if your dog's digging, there's got to be, you know, some sort of, of discipline. And rubbing your dog's nose in it, it is not going to work. Yeah, what's, <laughs> can you give an example of a discipline? People do that with dogs and, and kids, and it's weird. But, um, but what would be an example of discipline? Because I think people just don't know what to do. Sure. Uh, it could be a leash correction. Could be a spray bottle, right? Uh, like with water? Correction. With water, okay. yeah. Uh, but for some dogs, that'll work. Uh, there's other tools like pet convincers. Wait, what's uh, that? There's, there's a variety of tools. It's like an air canister. Okay. Uh, like a, uh, what do they use for bicycles to pump? Yeah, it's like a really powerful pump of air. <laughs> uh, so those are you know, a good variety of tools in which that we all, that we use in our programs, depending on what works, right? So yes, just need a good no. Now, should you put your dog in the crate to punish them, or would that go against the enjoyment of the crate? Good question. I get Thank that a you. lot. <laughs> no, we don't use the crate as a punishment tool. Uh, it, I think we as humans tend to do that because it is something that we would do with our kids, right? Go to your room. Exactly. But when you bring your kids to the room, why are you doing that? It's usually to not just... I don't want to leave my room, but let's face it, all their toys are, are in there. It's not like the most terrible thing. <laughs> so true. Right? It's, it's really about, think about what you did, right? <laughs> Dogs are not going to do that. It's just not in them. It's not how they think or behave. They're very in the moment, right? So if you needed to punish a behavior, it has to be right then and there. 
right? So even the example of sticking their nose in it, right? Like say a dog goes to the bathroom in the house and you know, what a grandpa used to do, get the dog, rub their nose in it, right? No, don't do that. And it was like an hour ago. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, that's the party spot. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's like totally a grandma move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our grandma would have done that. Um, okay, so they don't have the intellectual capacity, or I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but to understand that what that's about. So it's ineffective. So you have to catch them right then, right? Like you have to be. Now, so here's what I'm wondering. Say you had the spray bottle and you were going on a walk and you were trying to keep them from pulling. Could you do that? Like every time they pulled, do a little spray with the spray bottle? I've never done that. It's not a technique that I would practice. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> it just wouldn't be necessary on the walk. I, I Sure, you could try it. Uh, one thing that I always say is if it works, keep doing it. <laughs> right? That's all that really matters. Uh, for on the walk, we, we use more of the leash because it's already in our hand. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, we would use the leash as one of our tools. But, but even still, I haven't mentioned this, but really your body your energy is the most valuable tool that you can use because dogs speak in body language. So if you're presenting an energy that is firm, right? Assertive, right? What does uh, Caesar Mullen say, right? Right. Calm and assertive. It's true, right? So uh, if you present that sort of energy, you're going to be a lot more effective. Even if you're using tools at the same time, your dog's going to believe you a whole lot more than if you're like, uh, lucky don't do that no we like stop like, we we can't really be too soft so that's another big tool to keep in mind uh, as far as when we're communicating with our dogs is you know what is our body telling them okay this explains why some if i'm on a phone call and i'm walking charlie i swear he will just act a fool where because it's like i'm not i'm only passively paying attention to him is there so is that's like not in my head he's really feeding off of well she's on the phone she's not paying attention oh yes I see that happen all the time. <laughs> yeah, you're just not paying attention and they know it. Uh, you're off somewhere else. And and even too, uh, I've actually noticed that with my own dog in the past while I'm on the phone, she gets more energetic. She gets playful uh, rather than she could have just been laying down, right? So now what has happened is there's energy in the room, right? It was quiet. Mm. Now there's energy. Same on your walk. If you're like talking and like, hey, what's going on? Oh, it's so good to talk to you. And you're like more upbeat then your dog's more, most likely going to be more at feet. Oh, okay, that's good. But it's kind of back to that same thing, that initial problem that we had, which was, you know, with Charlie barking, it, and Chloe said, well, have you ever strongly told him no? Yeah. And so we finally did, and I swear it worked. It was, it was crazy, and I don't know why that didn't dawn on me, but it's almost like you have to think of the dogs just like your children. Mm -hmm. It's like those same yeah. structure and guidelines. Okay. Right. Last thing, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go <laughs> go get back to work because um, I know it's getting late in your your workday here. If somebody is getting ready to go back and prevent, can you give us a sample schedule of what a what a schedule would look like for a dog? Like, what would be an ideal schedule for a dog that's say you know three or four years old, not a puppy, but a but a regular dog that's with the family? Sure. So, what does that structured life look like essentially? Because that's really what we're, we're talking about here. That's going to be the most effective to preventing behaviors or stopping behaviors or just setting a good daily life for your dog. Uh, and, and I should mention, too, the reason why we do this is not only to help with behaviors, right, but it's also to just set your dog up for success so that you can enjoy them to the very full, right? Yes. So 
I would say uh, is morning, obviously potty break, uh, you know, play or some sort of exercise, taking them for a walk. Walks are extremely important. You should be doing at least one walk a day, um, preferably, right? As much as you can. Mm -hmm. uh, they need to get out, exercise, migrate, see the, you know, the world, right? Uh, then, like I said, you know, practice some crate time, whether that's four hours or eight hours, whatever you want to start off with, especially if it's something new, right? Start slow. There's no rush to it. Uh, take your time with it. Uh, potty breaks. And then even with, with meals, right? One good practice and something really easy that a lot of people can do is teaching your dog how to wait for your food, wait, wait for their food, not yours. Uh, <laughs> Don't feed them your food. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, even waiting at the doors before they exit to go potty, like little things where you can develop permission-based activities is extremely helpful to develop that leader-follower di dynamic, which is where you're going to get you know more respect and more trust with your dog, uh, which again is going to set you up for success and just enjoying your dog more because they see you as someone worth following, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, so those little things of just implementing the crate, uh, creating a good structured walk, right? Developing rules within your house uh, and making sure that you follow through with those rules. So if maybe the rule is, you know, the dog's not allowed on the couch, right? Or the bed, right? So if that's a rule you really want to start, make sure you continue it. If they get on, they better be scooched off, right? You can't just sometimes let the dog on and sometimes not, or maybe maybe we get lazy or like, oh, I don't want to deal with that right now, right? And the dog will learn that they can get on and then they're going to test you and the rules just out the window. So if you develop rules, make sure you just stick with them. But so whatever you can throughout your day, whatever is beneficial for, for the dog owner, then most certainly, you know, start developing those rules and boundaries within your home. Uh, but yeah, as many permission-based activities as you can do in the crates and structured walk and rules, all those things are going to amount to a, a very well-structured life with your dog. Chloe, you're awesome. This has been so good. Um, I will say everything I've learned about parenting, I learned from Chloe's dog training. It's the same. Like, I swear. I can't say that. I don't have kids, so I get in trouble when I say things like that. <laughs> but uh, but that's what I see. Uh, I see a lot of the same principles there. So yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Oh my gosh. Okay. Hugs to the fam. Thank you so much, Chloe. I love you. Hugs from afar. <laughs> this is so good. It was an absolute pleasure. Oh my gosh, I loved it. So you guys, here's the deal. You have got to follow her on Instagram. It's at Rooted Dog Training. Her uh, website is Rooted Dog Training. Yes, she is in Southern California, but you can send your dog to her and she will implement it all. Um, she will also do virtual training. So that's a big part of her business right now. So you guys keep that in mind as so many of our businesses go virtual. This is one, it didn't even cross my mind or it wouldn't have if this wasn't my cousin doing it. And, and she's really able to do this effectively. She's helped us with so many different techniques with Charlie. So I hope that you check out her website, check out her Instagram and just follow another Anchando. She's like the only other Anchando on Instagram. So Chloe, thank you so much. And thank you to you guys for just 
being a part of the show and uh, we will see you all next week. You can get more at secondshotpodcast.com and this will be on TV every Thursday, 10 to 11 a.m. on CW33. Have a good one, you guys.